That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a slightly delayed holiday podcast. But as you'll hear from my new co-host, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz, starting January 2nd, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern weeknights on ESPN Radio. As you'll hear from my new co-host, Jason Fitz, there's no reason to stop celebrating Christmas the day Christmas ends. Keep wearing your sweaters. Keep singing your songs. Everyone's just holding their breath until New Year's anyway. So I'll let Jason explain to you why this podcast is by no means belated. Hey, guys. Fitz here. You know what, Sarah? My my biggest holiday grievance is that Christmas ends too soon. If you're one of those people that stops playing Christmas music on the 26th, you have a problem, okay? You spend all this time putting up lights, and you spend all this time making cookies. You eat, you get all the bad food. You get the lights. Everything's like the, the celebration's going everywhere. You got the ugly Christmas sweaters. Let it live, okay? This thing goes all the way until New Year's Eve. It's a fact. And in fact, if you can find a reason to extend into the New Year, I support that too. There is no reason to get your lights down until, I don't know, Valentine's Day. So wear the ugly Christmas sweater for days. Keep the lights up until your your neighbors are all angry about it. Let the season live on. So in the spirit of extending Christmas and the holiday season a little bit longer, this podcast is devoted to the two holidays that I celebrate most, Festivus, a Festivus for the rest of us, and Christmas. So we'll start with the airing of Festivus sports grievances, mine and those of a few of my colleagues. And then we'll move on to the reading of my annual Twas the Night Before Christmas sports poem. And stick around because I have a very extra special That's What She Read this year that will put to end once and for all the debate about Die Hard being a Christmas movie or not. And you may be surprised by my answer. Before we get to the grievances, I just want to say thank you for listening all year. This podcast isn't super heavily promoted, and it's really kind of just a one-woman show. Um, my producers help a bit, but I find all the guests and come up with the content. And I do it because I love it, and I really enjoy talking to people. I like hearing people's stories. I like finding out how they got to become the people that they are, how they found success, uh, what their pitfalls were along the way, and what advice they may have. So whether you listen to it because you eventually want to get into sports uh, or whether you're just interested in, in learning more about the people that um, either are in the sports world or the comedians and actors and other people that I have on, um, I just wanted to say thanks. I really love doing it. So hopefully you'll keep listening into 2018. And now, enough with the gushy stuff. Time to complain. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. That's right. As you know, the true meaning of the holiday season isn't found in a store window, under the tree, or even in the refrain of a time-honored carol. The true spirit of the season is in giving. Not gifts, of course. Feedback. Raw, honest, in-your-face, no-holds-barred feedback. The airing of grievances, a chance to announce and denounce a year's worth of rage-inducing trends and soul-crushing moments. And at the Festivus dinner, you gather your family around and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past year. You can find my full list at ESPNW.com, where my annual airing of sports grievances column is. Just Google Sarah Spain Festivus 2017. But I'll give you a couple, like LeBron speculation. Los Angeles, Philly, Houston, where will the king head next? I'm just as intrigued as the rest of you, but we haven't even hit the all-star break yet, and we're already at threat level orange on this stuff. Can we just let Cavs fans cling to their last months of relevance in peace? And fan voting. In life, as in sports, 
Sometimes listening to the voice of the people results in epic greatness. Just Google Bodie McBoatface. But just as often, a fan vote results in epic fails. Just Google the Fred Durst Society of the Humanities and Arts. An all-star game should be a showcase of the very best players, not the most popular or most absurd. Sure, leagues want to make money on these exhibitions, but if we're going to tout players as quote-unquote five-time all-stars post-retirement, or worse, use their all-star appearances as proof of their Hall of Fame worthiness, then the honor should be taken seriously. One counterpoint. Give me all the John Scott stories. Moving on, the GOAT versus a GOAT. As sports fans, and as an industry on the whole, we need to decide once and for all whether a GOAT is a good thing or a bad thing. Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Bill Buckner, and Scott Norwood can't all be GOATs. Or GOATs, for that matter. If we're talking about guys catching blame, let's at least use scapegoat for clarity's sake. Playing the right way. I don't know who started calling boring, old-fashioned, character-free baseball the right way, but that take is getting mustier by the day. No celebrations, no individuality, no fun. Attention spans are getting shorter every day, so you got to give the people what they want. Enthusiasm paired with a little healthy antagonism. MLB players are participating in a game meant for our entertainment. Give me Jose Batista's bat flips, Adrian Beltre's hijinks, and Javier Baez's swagger over old-school baseball any day. And finally, my last and biggest grievance of the year goes to LeVar Ball. For a while there, I humored people who found his shtick compelling. I tried to hear out those who labeled his tactics outside the box and fancied him some sort of innovator and market disruptor. Then the misogyny arrived, directing a female sportscaster to stay in her lane, demanding that a female referee stay in her lane, saying of his wife while she was recovering from a stroke, quote, I'm rebooting her now, and, quote, she wants to talk and she can get out a few words, She's saying, LeVar, you're right, you are right. That's all I want her to say. LeVar's selfish, unprofessional antics at an AAU tournament. The okey-doke he pulled on people who bought one pair of shoes but were sent another. Eight months later. His dismissal of Leangelo's shoplifting, which caused an international incident and involved the intervention of two presidents. And most recently, a questionable decision to remove both of his younger sons from school to play professionally in a small Lithuanian town with a coach described as the LeVar Ball of Lithuania who doesn't even speak English. Let's stop praising this boastful, disrespectful, fact-denying man whose modus operandi is to bring himself fame and fortune no matter whether his sons are collateral damage and no matter whom he insults along the way. To the people who still stand for LeVar Ball. I find your belief system fascinating. As I said, there are plenty more grievances that the sports world has earned this year. But let's turn it over to a couple of colleagues who have their own grievances. Let's start with my good friends at the Dan Levitard Show with Stugatz. The commissioner of our grid of death, our suicide pool, is Sarah Spain. She is mean to us. She is cruel. She has asked for a favor. We are scared of her. So we will give her our list of sports grievances as a show uh, what do we have? We have not planned this segment. Uh, Greg Cody doesn't have his uh, headphones on and doesn't have any idea what we're doing here. Has no clue what we're doing right okay. now. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do you have any sports grievances? Go ahead. Give me all you got. Give me one you got. Give me one you got. Well, I got, uh, I mean, my biggest sports grievance this year has been Kevin Durant and the fact that he is, uh, you know, being celebrated for winning a championship okay. that in my personal record book, he's never won. Okay. Mike, yeah. what is your sports grievance? I think I speak for the entire shipping container right now. 
Our grievance is Sarah. Yeah. Oh She's yeah. Tough. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Way too tough. Yeah. I yeah. believe now we found our sports grievance. Tread. We have to tread lightly by yeah. doing this, but yes. it's Sarah. Yeah, it's I love her. I think she's great. No, she's very heavy-handed with her commissionership. Because you haven't done your twenty-minute deaf That's poetry right. jam yet, and I'm trying to get out of it. Yeah, and it's not a velvet glove. Love you, Sarah. Happy no, holidays. I mean, he's totally insincere, Sarah. You killed it, Craig. Did you want me to say something? <laughs> Even though I completely disagree with them, I am, of course, velvet glove with an iron fist. Who is a tough but fair commissioner, ruling on all grit of death punishments, doling out punishments when necessary, giving reprieve when it is called for. I still appreciate their grievance, and I will take it into account that they complained about me as I dole out punishments in the new year. Next up, my good friend Mina Kimes, NFL expert, writer extraordinaire, around the horn panelist, and endless sucker for Poppy's handshake tricks on HQ. So recently on Sunday Night Football, one of the most controversial moments of the season really happened late in the fourth quarter in a game between the Cowboys and the Raiders. It's tied. Dad Prescott runs it on fourth and one. He ends up being very close to the marker. So the refs pull out an index card to measure where the ball is. Now, I was at home fuming but not because of the index card. I mean, that was stupid, but rather because of the chain gang. Why does the chain gang exist? It is so stupid. It's meant to give you the impression that there's some specificity involved in placing the ball, when in fact, it's already been arbitrarily put somewhere on the field. There is no exactness at all to the measurement. Trotting out the refs, making them pull out the chains is a waste of time and it's an insult to our intelligence. NFL, if you're listening, I know you are, it is time to get rid of the chain gang. I completely agree. The index card was ridiculous. She's right. But that's not really the biggest worry that we have. Why are we still using a chain gang? I think she laid it out pretty well. And in fact, I think she should take it to the NFL, NFL PA. Show up at a meeting. Tell Roger Goodell he's wrong. Won't be the first time he hears that. And finally, save the best for last, because what's better than an angry Irishman? And our good buddy Kean Fahey, though he may say otherwise, does love to complain. Does love to get angry. You can find his work on presnapreads.com. He also has a podcast on ESPN. And he's all over our radio and TV networks talking NFL. We spent so long talking about his background when he came on the pod. You may recall that he didn't get to do the Spanish Inquisition. And it seems like he may still be harboring a little bit of anger over that. I, I just I don't really know why. She constantly wants things. It's, it's... It's infuriating. You know I, mean? I can't always be asking you to. Hey, Sarah. Hey, I'm happy happy to be on the pod again. I think the this is my second time on the pod. Really happy happy to be here for the holiday. Um, you know, the first time I was on the pod, I actually didn't get to answer the questions. I'm pretty sure I'm the only guest ever who's never got to answer the questions. But but that's okay. I won't hold that against you. It's 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 not like I'm bitter about that or anything. Or it's it's not like I've thought about it every other week or. You know, it's not like I ever looked up the questions and wrote out what my answers might have been. But, you know, that's okay. But, uh... Anyway, um, you want me to complain. I don't normally complain about things, so this is a little bit out of my comfort zone. But I'll try for you, you know, just because you had me on the pod again. So I'm going to try and do this, do it right. It's too cliche to complain about injuries, so I'm just going to complain about one injury. I need Odell Beckham to stay healthy. Odell Beckham is fun. Odell Beckham celebrates. Odell Beckham does spectacular plays. He's explosive. He's phenomenal. Just get, let, let the other guys get injured. I don't like. We can't just wish away all injuries. It's like asking for world peace. Just complain about something specific. I need Odell Beckham to be healthy. 
I, I need Jared Goff and Carson Wentz to stop throwing touchdowns. It, it, this is making me look bad, and like it's not fair. I'm, it's not really making me look bad because I'm right about these things. I'm always right about these things, as you know. And the people like this, these touchdowns make people think I could be wrong about something. And like when people think I could be wrong, that's embarrassing for them. So we need Jared Goff to stop throwing touchdowns. We need Carson Wentz to not throw touchdowns next year. This is all. It's it, it's too unfair. You're misleading the people, and they're they're making themselves look like fools when they talk about it to me. So I'm really, I'm a man of the people with this one. I'm trying to look out for others rather than just looking out for myself. Thirdly, look, look, let's get replay out of here. No one needs replay anymore. Look, replay, calls are going to be wrong, calls are going to be right, who cares? Just, I don't want to wait three or four minutes for one play. Games are long enough. I've got to watch them until 5am and 6am. Come on, like, this is an international sport. You, you can't have six hour games. No, stop. Get rid of replay. No more replay. You know, I, I don't actually have that many complaints. I think that's all. So we have some time left. So maybe I could, you know, maybe answer some questions. Maybe questions from the audience. Maybe questions from, I don't know, the, the Spanish Inquisition. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, let me look them up. What natural talent do you wish you were gifted with? Oh, that's actually a really interesting question because I've got a great answer for this. Like, if I was... Oh, so sorry, Kian. We just don't have time for that today. We'll have to catch you next time. And that's the annual airing of sports grievances for this year. I'm sure you have your own. And beginning now, I will start to gather a list of complaints for next year. I can only imagine the things that will give me problems in 2018. But moving on, let's get to my annual Twas the Night Before Christmas sports poem, which this year admittedly has a few grievances snuck in as well. It was a rough year, guys. I think we can all agree on that. But I did highlight some of the good stuff, too. So here it is. Read that poem. I can't read it. I need my glasses. You don't need glasses. You're just weak. You're weak. It's the night before Christmas, 2017. The house smells of spices and evergreen. A mug of eggnog chills, ready and waiting for dulling and soothing, not celebrating. It's been a rough year, even worse than the last. And I'm tempted to hibernate till it's all in the past. But there were some good moments some reasons to smile. So I'll ditch the bad vibes and talk good stuff a while. Like Puerto Rico's swagger in the WBC. USA Hockey fighting for equity. Emo NBA featuring Kyrie and his pals. A U.S. Open semi full of all-American gals. Chain snatching Talib, Ronaldo's statue. For every judge Homer, Stanton said, I'll match you. So many catches, shots, and calls. But hold up. Let's get back to the start of it all. The new year began with a rematch supreme, a battle between two familiar teams. Alabama, the reigning king to dethrone. Clemson looking for vengeance and rings of their own. They brawled and they battled till seconds remained. Watson to Renfro, champion status attained. Saban and co. undefeated no more. Clemson, your winner, by a margin of four. Later that month in the land down under, Serena Williams brought the thunder, besting her sis to notch slam 23 passing Steffi, and all the while carrying a baby. On the men's side, too, a legend won it all, as Federer defeated Rafael Nadal. Long in the tooth, three of five in the final, make an age look cool like a box set of vinyl. Speaking of aging, look at Touchdown Tom. Get his lotions and potions at TB12Store.com. Telling Father Time, wait for another year. Ditching sugar and flour, but still chugging beer. To Super Bowl L.I. went Tom and his team, the first half for the Falcons, the stuff of dreams. Atlanta will win up 28-3, but they blew the lead and lost an OT. 
More history was made in a few weeks' time as Northwestern men's hoops finally made prime time. The first trip to the dance for the Wildcats, famous alums dusted off their end hats. They only got to see one tourney win, but they'll never forget that they finally got in. Nova and Duke only got one win, too. Same goes for Louisville and FSU. In the end, it was Gonzaga versus UNC, the title on the line in Glendale AZ. The heels made up for last year's regrets, got the dub, got the rings, got to cut down the nets. A stunner this year on the women's side, the Huskies' chance at five straight nullified. Morgan William, the dagger of 15-foot J, Mississippi State better than UConn that day. The Bulldogs, their magic they could not extend. T'was the Gamecocks who prompted their win streak to end. South Carolina, the best of them all. Staley and Co., check out those rings, y'all. Out in Philly, the draft on the Rocky Steps. Thousands on hand to witness more Browns missteps. Passing on Watson? Here we go again. We can already fast forward to 0-10. Mitchell Trubisky to the Bears at 2. A dip to remember for your boy Juju. McKinley Swear got him debuting with debts. Tony Richardson can't spell J-E-T-S. A second straight cup for the Pittsburgh Pens. Crosby, your consmite winner again. A loss for the Preds, but feel no pity. Hockey's only getting started in the Music City. The NBA flourished behind its big names, even though superstars sat for big games. Triple doubles for Russ, cup cakes for KD, one of the most talked about races for MVP. A third straight finals for LeBron and Curry. Golden State got up three to none in a hurry. KD on a mission to get that first ring. Finals MVP, Wanda, check out my bling. Things got ugly between Connor and Floyd. They used nasty words we should all avoid. The fight was a sham. The premise trash. They played you all and took your cash. A rematch took place in the WNBA. The Lynx taking on the Sparks of L.A. Fouls your finals MVP as Minnesota was first to get to three. The Indian streak amazed us all. Dodgers, too, until the fall. But they found their stride when it mattered most. A pennant win they got to toast. The Astros, their foe in the final round, and oh, the World Series games did astound. Comebacks, collapses, home runs galore. After games one through six, we wanted more. In the end, it was Houston who took home the crown, a magical night for their waterlogged town. Springer's dingers earned him MVP rights, and Correa got engaged that night. Of course, there were some not great things, like Charles Oakley taking swings, Grayson Allen tripping folks, that Phelps shark race was a total joke. Iverson bailed on the big three fans. Mrs. Hugh Freeze, come get your mans. College hoops slipped and the FBI pounced. Durant stayed busy juggling Twitter accounts. Shut it, LeVar, we've heard enough. A real big baller, don't say that stuff. Kyrie, damn it, the earth ain't flat. The solar eclipse, quick, explain that. Protests brought players right down to their knees. And the president called them all sons of bees. Their message of equal rights, treatment, and laws got mangled by folks who rejected their cause. The world of sports and news collided and caused us all to be divided. Owners versus players, players versus fans, fights on the internet, fights in the stands. No real chance it gets better soon. When the calendar flips, it's the same old tune. Discord and anger in my way, not yours. No more healthy debate, just all-out wars. So I say... Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, even though I'm not feeling much holiday cheer. Because sometimes a smile, even forced, will do on the days when you're feeling a little bit blue. Now a sip of eggnog, or two, or three, 
and good spirits have suddenly returned to me. So I'll make one last wish on a star so bright. Peace and joy to all, and to all a good night. That's what she said. This time on That's What She Read, it may seem a bit redundant, seeing as I just read my own Twas the Night Before Christmas poem, but I was introduced to an amazing poem written by Jake Tapper. Yes, that Jake Tapper from CNN. And many of you who follow me on Twitter will know that I just watched Die Hard for the very first time a couple weeks ago. I know that is crazy, but I have a whole black hole full of amazing classic movies that I never watched because my parents just were not into action movies and kind of big blockbuster stuff. I've never seen any of the uh, Indiana Jones movies. I've only seen, I think, two Star Wars, and I didn't see them till much later in life. So I'm catching up on some of these things. So I finally watched Die Hard, and I finally became a part of the Is Die Hard a Christmas Movie conversation. I watched it. I told everyone, no, it is a classic and great action flick that happens to be set at Christmas. And I still think, deep down, it's not a quintessential Christmas movie. I wouldn't view it in the same way I would view National Lampoon's Christmas or Home Alone or or things like that. But I was dead set on not a Christmas movie until I read this poem by Jake Tapper, which he posted on his Twitter account, at Jake Tapper. And I've changed my mind. I've decided there are enough Christmas elements. There are enough little little moments and little names and things like that that are put in there uh, as, as little silent messages to us. And even though it came out in July, I'm still going to say that my mind has been changed. And as you guys may know, it takes a lot for me to change my mind and to give up my stubborn positions on, on things. But in the spirit of uh, the new year and fewer arguments and more discussions and debates, I will admit I was wrong. It is a Christmas movie. And here is Jake Tapper's poem that convinced me of as much. "'Twas the night before Christmas at Nakatomi Tower, when our story of homecoming begins with brute power. At Los Angeles Airport, meet our savior, McLean. With toys for his kids, he disembarks from his plane. To not see that this tale is about Christmas is folly. Did I mention that Mrs. McLean's name is Holly? How about some Christmas music, McLean asks of Argyle. That is Christmas music, the driver says with a smile. To reunite with Holly, his aim is shared with shy laughter. T'would be a holiday miracle to last ever after. You throw quite a party, said John to Takaki-san. I didn't know they had Christmas in Japan. John is weary from travel. Holly offers a bed. While down in the lobby, the guard shot in the head. In Theo, in Kyle, in Tony, Ed, Fritz. Into the party, the armed thugs run a blitz. Argyle still waits. This is long before Uber while Havoc is wrecked by the evil Hans Gruber. John McClane, he escapes. Save the day, he's just gotta. Without shoes, he tracks blood as if bearing wounds of stigmata. One thug tries to kill him, but that German's too slow. Now John McClane has a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Sergeant Al Powell is told of disturbance. In response, the fake guard feigns a bit of perturbance. Does he hear anything? The answer is no, except for the song, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. Merry Christmas, says Powell, not realizing the peril, driving off while he sings a beloved Christmas carol. A corpse falls from above with a clear rationale. McLean says to the cop, welcome to the party, pal. Gruber talks to McLean, or rather, he sneers. Survival would be a miracle. He plays on his fears. The policeman is bloodied and in dire need of succor. yippee ki McLean says, mother-er. 
A woman hostage with child in of its glory is also a part of our Christmas Eve story. With Johnny McSee traveling great distance, with hope and with love fighting evil resistance. Theo, a wise man who's also quite naughty, is stealing the money in spirit quite haughty. Ellis, the Judas, attempts an amenity by disclosing the cowboy's secret identity. McLean gets a bad feeling and asks Sergeant Powell to relay to his wife a redemptive avowal. When things panned out for her, I should have been behind her all the way. He says this, thinking he'll never see the light of day. I got it, said the sergeant, but you could tell her yourself, in a scene that's as seasonal as a reindeer or elf. I hope so, but that's up to the guy upstairs, says McLean, who's traveled far for peace but encountered only pain. If Christmas is love, rebirth, and a savior, McLean was all of the above in his diehard behavior. God was truly with him. The success was empirical. At Nakatomi, they experienced a miracle. That Die Hard is a Christmas film seems to me just a fact. I declare this without any holiday tact. But whether you agree or your disapproval won't cease, I wish you a season of love and of peace. Pretty awesome, to be sure. And on his Twitter account, he includes little photos and gifts along with each verse. So you can check it out. A sincere thanks for listening all year long. And thanks for lasting just under an hour with me. That's what she said.